If you've got your Bibles, uh, Judges 6 is where we are. We've been in this series called Grit, Guts, and Glory, which I've really enjoyed this series because, as I told you from the beginning, uh, the book of Judges is bleak. It, it is a dark book. It is not very hopeful. And, uh, and, and so we're looking at these judges and how God moved, even in the midst of a very dark time. And, and so uh, we're really gleaning some truths from these things on how to apply them specifically to our life, how to treat one another, how to live our lives boldly uh, for the sake of the gospel. Today, one of my favorite uh, judges is Gideon. And Gideon uh, is, I think he's probably one of my favorite because he is the most relatable to us. Like we look at the story of Samson and we will uh, before too long and, and Samson is Samson. We can't really relate to him, right? Like none of us are going to be so jacked and that power be in our hair that we pull down a whole building by pulling together the two columns that it's resting upon. None of us are going to struggle with, Lord, should I pull down this building or not, right? Like, that's not very applicable to us. But Gideon, I find more applicable because, quite honestly, Gideon uh, was a fearful man. He, he, he was a coward, quite honestly, in, in some places. And, and he lived in a state of feeling very unworthy, feeling, feeling very inadequate, uh, just not trusting in the sufficiency of God uh, or what God has made him to be. And so, so I find that very encouraging because I often feel that. We often feel that. Oftentimes we feel fear, fear to be obedient to the Lord, fear to live our lives uh, for the sake of the gospel and, 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 that, and fear to get over our, our sin and some things like that. And so, so I find Gideon very applicable. But uh, before I dive in, you know, I, I pulled up some phobias that I thought would be very interesting to discuss. You know, a phobia is just a fear of anything. Like there's fears for everything, like uh, arachnophobia, fear of spiders, right? Claustrophobia, you know, these fear of small spaces or whatever. Uh, but here are some other ones. Uh, there is literally one called uh, Americophobia, which is fear of American people, which I want to find out who's afraid of us because I really want to hide in the closet and be like, ah, you know, like, that's like, uh, anyway, uh, there's clinophobia, which is fear of a bed, said no teenager ever. Uh, uh which is a fear of body odor. I'm kind of feeling that with our middle schoolers returning from camp. Uh, I, I, hopefully parents you've brought Febreze because they're going to be ripe. Um, ecclesiophobia, which is fear of church. Um, literally people afraid of church. I hope we can change that as a church. Uh, hadiophobia, which is fear of hell, uh, which is probably a good fear to have. Um, here's one, gamophobia, which is something a lot of men uh, uh, have this fear. It's the fear of marriage. Uh, a lot of young men afraid to get married. Uh, put a ring on it, buddy. Um, and then one I made up, uh, I've made this one up, the obeophobia. Essentially, I think a lot of us have this fear of obeying the Lord. And for whatever reason, we have these um, things in us that keep us from radical obedience uh, to God. Like we know God is calling us to certain things. We know he's put on our plate via either the scripture or, or individually things he's calling us to. And we're afraid to step in obedience. We're afraid, afraid to walk in that, uh, whether that be to share our faith. 
Uh, I mean, if we went down the line and asked you, hey, how comfortable are you sharing the gospel with someone else? I think most of us would say, no, I, I'm, I have a fear of doing that. I don't readily do that. There's a fear in me to do that. Maybe some of you fear like going, like God is calling you to go uh, to the mission field. And you're like, ah, uh, uh, I'm afraid of that. Uh, maybe some of you, you know, we've been walking through what it looks like to disciple our own families and, and what family worship looks like. And so maybe some of you have been afraid to step into that. Like we have all these fears when it comes to obeying the Lord with our lives and walking in radical uh, obedience to him. And so today uh, we're going to talk about Gideon who was called by God to deliver uh, Israel from the Midianites. And so God comes to Midian, and, and, and it's awesome because Gideon in, in, is nowhere close to a William Wallace-type personality, a, a Jason Bourne-type personality right here. Like, he's, he cowers down. He hides. He's like, no, 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 not me, Lord, somebody else, right? And so I think it's going to be encouraging for us to really examine his life and look at him and see how we might also, uh, in the midst of our fears, still move towards obedience to God. Because the reality is, and this is kind of our bottom line for today, um, you, you know, fear, uh, courage isn't the absence of fear, it's action in the midst of it. And so I'm not saying that you're not going to ever just not be afraid to move in obedience. But what I am saying to you is that uh, even though we may have some rational fears or irrational fears, God is calling us to step anyway. He's calling us to move anyway. And so uh, that's, that's where we're heading now. I want to give you a little bit of, of, of the background here. Um, in the first six verses, it says that Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, they had turned their back away from the Lord. They were worshiping the gods of the surrounding nations, and God had given them over to the Midianites. Now, what that means is the Midianites, the, the scripture says, were, 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 like, were like locusts. There were so many of them that they could not even number their people or their camels. It's a lot of camels, right? Like, so, so what would happen is the people of Israel would plow some land or they would have some sheep or some cows or whatever, and they're trying to like get some food. And all of a sudden they would start getting some and the Midianites would just rush in again whoo, and take everything from them, take their livestock, take their vegetation, take, take everything from them. And, and, and so here you had the people of God who are in a, in a dark place, in a tough place. That they, 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 here are the people of God who were once a blessed nation living in the land of milk and honey. And now they're hiding, literally hiding in caves and mountains and, and, and hiding from the Midianites to save their lives. And so that, that's kind of the scenario here. Now, let me read to you uh, 7 through 10. Chapter 6, 7 through 10 says this. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the, the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Okay, so what you have happening here, after seven years of being attacked by the Midianites, Israel cries out to God. Save us, God. Help us, God. And, I, and God sends a prophet. 
They're being swarmed by this army, and God doesn't send a, a war general. He sends a prophet. Now, what that says to me here is that they were living in, in tumultuous times. They're living in troubled times. They're, they're having all these issues surrounding them. We've got this going on, and we've got this going on, and these are the problems. God, help us. And God says to them, you know, the problem isn't the Midianites. The problem isn't the problems that surround you. The problem is you. You are the problem. You have turned your heart from me. You have disobeyed me. I told you that if you walk in obedience to me, I will bless you. If you walk in disobedience to me, I will curse you. I have told you this. So your problem isn't the Midianites. The problem is, is you. Don't we do that? We so often blame all our situations. Say, God, where are you? Why haven't you shown up? Where are you in this situation? And really, the whole time God's saying, the issue is you. The issue is your own heart, your own obedience, your own walk with me or lack thereof, your own worship or lack of zeal and worship. You have, you, you're sitting here playing the victim card as if woe is me, woe is pity party on me, and I'm looking at your heart saying, confess, repent, turn back to me. That's exactly what he's doing to, to, to Gideon and the, and the Israelite people here. And so let, let me read to you um, 11 through 17 here. See what happens next. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Orpha, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. A couple of things here. One of the scriptures says, it says the, the angel, this wasn't a angel, it was the angel of the Lord. Most commentators are believing this to be the pre-incarnate Christ. So Jesus here having a conversation with, with Midian. The theological term here is called a Christophany. Like Jesus shows up uh, but before he was put on flesh as a baby. And so they, they believe that Midian is to be speaking with Jesus at this moment. And, and what, Jesus, what, what Midian is doing is he is trying to separate the chaff from the, uh, the, chaff from the wheat. And, and the way you would do that typically is you would, you would take it up on a hill and you would begin to separate it. And the wheat would fall to the ground and the chaff would be blown away by the wind. You would get on top of the hill to have more wind to blow the chaff away from the wheat. It says here that Midian is hiding, I mean, that, that Gideon is hiding from the Midianites and, and doing that in the valley. 
So here he is cowering down, trying to find some food, hoping the wind will blow in, in this valley and, and separate the, the chaff from the, from the wheat. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, like I said, definitely no Jason Bourne here. And, and, and Jesus shows up to him and then calls him out and says, Gideon, oh, mighty man of valor. Huh? He doesn't look like a man of valor to me. He looks like he's cowering down in a valley, hiding, tail between his legs. Oh, mighty man of valor. Where are you getting that from? Is God mocking Gideon? I don't, I don't think God is mocking Gideon. I, I think that God is reminding Gideon of who he is and, and whose God is his God. Uh, this was one of the high, uh, high uh, themes of camp that we were trying to teach too. Oftentimes, a Christian struggles with sin or things in their life because they don't realize what God has made them to be. They don't understand that if you are saved, if you are a child of God, what God has done for you and what the first Peter passage that we talked about at camp says that you are a, a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession. He has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of light. You were once not a people, but now you are a people. You once had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. And so here are the, the people of God. If you are saved, what he has done for you is he has taken in your sin, killed it on the cross, and now you walk in the righteousness of Christ. You are a child of his, adopted into the kingdom of God. No longer are you enslaved and enchained by the sins of your past, but he has cut off those chains, and you walk in the victory of the cross and his righteousness. And so if you're in here today, and you're still holding on and struggling with some sin of the past, but yet you are a professed believer in Jesus Christ, you are the one hanging on to that. God God has freed you from that, but you have to let it go. And so the reason that oftentimes Christians don't walk in victory is because they don't have the perception of what Jesus has made them to be in himself. And so you put on labels on yourself that are no longer labels for yourself. You know, the scripture calls us righteous saints. But you might say, I don't feel righteous. I feel unrighteous. What I did last night, I was unrighteous. But God says to you, oh, your righteousness is not your own. Your righteousness is not, and you pulling up yourself by your bootstraps and you working harder. Your righteousness comes from me. And if I have said you are righteous, you are in fact righteous. Because I am righteous. Saint, I'm not a saint. I'm a sinner. Your identity in Christ. You know, when Paul writes his letters to the church in Ephesus or church in Gala churches in Galatia, oftentimes he refers to them to the saints in Ephesus. Their identity has been changed. They're no longer, woe is me, I'm a sinner. No, 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 no. They are found in Christ. And we are as righteous as we will ever be in the sight of God. Now, his word and his presence and his Holy Spirit is continuing to, to match our life up to the, the, sanctify our life to, to where we'll be in heaven. But we are as righteous as we're going to be. We have the righteousness of Christ covering us. Now, we have to live in that victory. We have to live in that truth. 
We're no longer a guilty people. We've been forgiven. We're no longer unworthy. God saw us as worthy enough to send Jesus to the cross. That's high worth. And so oftentimes the the defeats we have is because we don't realize our standing before God. We don't realize who we've been made to be in Jesus. And so then Gideon goes on and he says to, to God, he says, Lord, if you're with us, why is this happening? Where are the miracles you did for our fathers? And so, so Israel had gotten in their crappy situation and because of their disobedience, but they were too blind to see that. And Gideon is as bold to begin to blame God for their situation. He says, hey, 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 if you're with us, where have you been? Not realizing, again, the promises of God. If you disobey me, I will curse you. If you obey me, I will bless you. And, and so here's Gideon blaming God. I'm at, uh, in counseling, uh, we get this, I get this all the time. Someone will come to me and they'll say, hey, David, my, my marriage is a wreck. My kids are off the rails. Um, what's going on? And I'll say, okay, tell me about how you've led your family spiritually. And I'll say, I haven't. Okay, um, did you expect a different result? David, uh, man, I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. I feel like I can't get any traction with God. Something's going on. I'll say, okay, uh, tell me about how you're reading your Bible. Well, I'm not reading my Bible. Uh, David, my finances are a mess. I can't get any victory. There's always more month uh, at the end of the money. Okay, uh, are you tithing? Well, no. Okay, uh, God has laid out some principles in his Bible that if we begin to follow those principles, he blesses us because we follow and obey those principles. They're not, they're, they're, they're not fail-proof, but by and large, uh, as I've seen people study and know the word, it produces fruit in their life and growth in their spiritual life with, in relationship with Jesus. As men lead their families spiritually, lead their kids spiritually, I see the fruit of that grow in their families to be more godly and kids to know Jesus and come to know Christ. As people give generously and tithe in obedience to the Lord, I see God bless their finances and they usually have more than enough to keep and give faithfulness and praise to, to God. Like these are the principles found in, in, in the scriptures. Like God told you to do something and if you do it or don't do it dictates what happens next for you. This is, if you're a believer, this is called the discipline of the Lord. If you outright tell God, no, I'm not gonna do what you told me to do, he disciplines his children just as a good father disciplines his children. If my child over and over and over and over told me, no, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. He's not going to live. <laughs> the judgment of the Lord will come upon him. No, you, a good parent disciplines their children. That's what a good parent does. Why? So they won't continue to make the same boneheaded, stupid mistakes anymore. They will respect authority. They will love their parents as God has told them to love their parents. Like These are things that God brings discipline on life when we disobey him. And, and so to, to begin to say, why is this happening? is just like Gideon. 
He's saying, why is, if you've been with us, why is this happening? God says, uh, really? You've turned from me. You're worshiping false gods. You, you, you're practicing these pagan worship activities, going as far as even sacrificing your children to these false gods. And you want to ask me, why have I taken my hand off your nation? It seems apparent. That's the, that's the trouble with sin is it blinds you to apparent truths. That's the problem with sin is it, it, it blinds us to righteousness. It blinds us to, to what is, is true. And I love the response of Jesus, uh, the angel here. It says, he just says, go. He doesn't even, even give him the time of the day, really. He just says, I'm sending you. And so Gideon starts back, back, backpedaling. He's like, uh, okay, I just tried to blame God. That didn't work. Now let me try another tactic. Hey, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. He says, my tribe is the weakest tribe of all of Israel, and I'm weakest in my clan. I'm weakest in my own tribe. I send someone else. I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I don't have the courage or the ability. And God says, go. He, he tells Gideon, go in this might of yours, which I love. Go in this mind of yours. Basically, give me what you got and trust me. And, and, and the source of strength, which we'll kind of dive into in a minute, he says, I will go with you. I will go with you. Now, let me read 25 through 27. I'm going to hit most of my application at the end uh, here. 25 through 27 says, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. All right. A couple of things here. Uh, first of all, you see Gideon's dad had compromised. He, he, he had begun worshiping uh, Baal and, and had these Asherah poles, these other gods. Basically, he's adding gods to his playlist, right? Uh, it's this syncretism, this, this adding to, like, he didn't ignore the one true God. He just added all these other gods just to be safe. And, uh, and, and so God tells Gideon to tear down his dad's uh, altars and to build an altar to the one true God on top of it. A couple of things here uh, that I think we can, we can pull from this passage. Um, here's Gideon's dad worshiping false gods, and Gideon was living in the midst of that, influenced by that. Uh, I think a lot of us still live lives in the shadow of the false gods that our parents worshiped. Now, it looks different. You know, it's not a fat belly Buddha or a, you know, octopus Shiva God, you know, uh, it, it, looks, it looks a lot different for us. What that idol might look like for you is maybe your parents had a dream for you, maybe a materialistic dream for you, and you are still chasing that dream and, and trying to fulfill that dream, trying to please dad or trying to, you know, they did everything for you. They, they, they set you up that you, you, you know, that 
got you to college, you participated in college, they kept putting pressure on you to get this certain job or be this uh, successful or to do these things, and you're trying to still live in the shadow of that idol, and, and that is affecting every other piece of your life and how you worship and how you obey the Lord because you can't say yes to anything God calls you to because you're still trying to worship this idol that your parents have put in your life. Or maybe, uh, you know, I know a lot of parents put on their children this pressure to be like pro athletes. But you grew up and you were 5'6", 150 pounds. You're not making the NFL. But you're still, maybe that dream is gone, but you're still trying to work to please your parents in some kind of sick and twisted way of being successful or, or being, you know, making a lot or, or whatever, being able to take care of them. And it's this idol that you have. Or maybe for some of you, um, you're still worshiping with the same cold heart that your parents worship with. Like you saw them go to church over and over and over and over and over again. And that may be even the reason why you're here. You don't have any real relationship with God, but it's what you do. Church is your hobby. So you're like, all right, we got to go to church. We got to get our clothes on. We got we to get there. And so you come in here with the same stoic, cold, dead heart that you saw your parents worship with. And you, you're still living in the shadow of that idol. So for you to be zealous or passionate about worship is unheard of. And for you to even maybe get your... Hands up like this. <laughs> Put those down. Would be unheard of. And so you still coming in here with that same cold, dead heart, no zeal or passion in worship or obedience to Jesus. And you saw that in your parents, and you are passing that on to your children. I wonder if that's how we'll worship in heaven. For some reason, I don't think so. I don't think we're going to be standing there. No, no movement. Sing quiet enough that we, our lips are moving, but no one really hears us. And when the bridge comes, drink our coffee. That ain't what heaven's going to look like. No, we're going to be zealous and passionate about the God who has saved us and redeemed us and freed us forever from our sin. But maybe you're still living in the shadow of your parents' idol. Maybe they've instilled that in you. Or maybe, um, you know, they've given you some wounds. Maybe those idols are just wounds. They've hurt you. They've damaged you in some way. And you're still clinging to that. You still got anger for your dad or your mom. You, you, still got, you still got all this baggage because of your family that you can't get freedom from in your life because you can't let it go. You, you're not letting Jesus deal with that part of your heart. Oh, this doesn't bother me. Oh, I'm going to keep this hidden. This doesn't bother me. I'm going to keep this to myself. But all the while, says, Jesus is saying, you can't run the race full sprint because you've got a heavy backpack on you. You've got ropes around your feet. Because you're still trying to hang on to these wounds or idols that your parents have put in your life. Another point of application I think that is powerful here is it says that Gideon used the, word, the, the wood of the Asherah to, to burn the sacrifice to the Lord. He used the wood that was used to worship these false gods to 
burn the sacrifice unto the Lord. Uh, this, is what, this is what God does. He loves tearing down false idols and then using them for his own glory. See, a lot of you have come in here and you think you can't be used of God because you've got all these past issues in your life and you, you can't get over those past issues to even begin to worship God. But what God says to us, he says, no, 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 no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut up those things that have kept you from me and I want you to begin to use them to, to burn the right sacrifices on for glory to me and praise to me. See, a lot of times we think our past is this deep, dark shame and, and it may be, we, we may have walked in that for a period of time but the reality is if we are saved God has brought us out of that brought us out of the dominion of darkness and put us on the rock of the solid light of the kingdom of heaven and so now we stand and we say look at the darkness God has brought me out of so my testimony is one that says my God is so good he brought me from the pit my God is so faithful he he freed me from the darkest sin my, my God is so good and kind that when I was unworthy, when I didn't deserve him, when I didn't earn him, that he brought, coddled me up out of that dirt and he put me in him. This is what God does. He takes the weak of the world to shame the wise, the strong. He takes the foolish of the world. He, he takes our past and restores the years that the locusts have eaten. He, he restores and he redeems and he rescues and he uses a people for his own glory that would have never thought they'd be used for his own glory. Would have never thought you'd be used to share the gospel with your coworker. You would have never thought you'd be used to disciple your kids unto the Lord. You would have never thought you'd be caught dead raising an arm in church in praise unto Jesus. You would have never thought that you would have been so faithful to Him because you, greed had such a hard, hold on your heart. You, you wouldn't be caught dead giving money to anyone except for your retirement. You, you wouldn't be caught dead walking into a church faithfully week after week after week. And this is what God does. He uses our past tears it down kills it and puts the right sacrifice on that altar so we can praise him knowing our past we're so thankful for our saving God it's a scripture that says those who've been forgiven much forgive much the harder the past the more difficult or darker the past when you are freed from that the more glory you give unto God the, the, the more you praise him, the more you realize how unsavable you really were, how unsavable I really was. But God's faithfulness and goodness overcomes. And, and then you'd think Gideon would go and immediately tear it down. You'd think, all right, Jesus just talked to him, gave him a pep talk. He'd go tear these things to the ground. No. I mean, he did it, but he got some friends to do it at night. He was still so afraid of his family. He was still so afraid of his friends that he tore these things down at, at night. And so his dad had to come to his defense. In the morning when the village woke up, they wanted to kill Gideon. And, and so his dad comes to his defense and says, Oh, 
If Baal really is God, let him defend himself. If he really is powerful, as we worship him to be powerful, he'll kill Gideon. Well, we know Baal is no God at all. He's, he's a false God. And, and so this morning, I got two more points of application I want you to walk home with. Two points of application here. It's in the same umbrella of that courage is not the absence of fear, it's action in the midst of it. One is that if God has called you to him, he's also commissioned you. If God has called you, he's commissioned you. Just like Gideon. Gideon was called by God, and he said to him, you go. Gideon's like, no, 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 God, if you were with us, none of this would happen. Uh, and, and, and then uh, Jesus says, go. And he says, no, I'm the weakest. My tribe is the weakest. Jesus says, go. I've called you. If you're called, you're commissioned. If, if you're called, you, you, it's Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says, the, it's the great commission. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I mixed a little KJV in there, a little low. We are to go. If you are a child of God, you are commissioned to go, to take the gospel to all people. You, you don't get to be saved and sit on the sidelines. In so doing, you are disobedient to the calling on your life. If you are called, if you are saved, you are commissioned. You are a sent one. You're called to be obedient to the Lord. And you know our, where our strength comes from in that? It's not in, all right, well, I'm going to make a checklist, and uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to come to church again next week, and, I'm gonna tr- and then the week after that, and the week after that if we don't have anything. And then, and then uh, I'm going to really work hard to do this more and do this more and be better at this. No, no, no. It, it's not moralistic deism. It's not, that's not what we're part of. The, the, the motivation and the power to go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is what? Because I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. What is Jesus in, in this story with Gideon, what does he tell Gideon? You go. I know you're a coward. I know you are. But I'm calling you a man of mighty valor. And you know where your power is going to come from? It's going to come from I will be with you. I will be with you. And so if you're called one, if you're commissioned, the, 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 our hope is not that, all right, we'll strategize and we'll put our heads together and we'll figure out the best strategy to reach these people over here and reach these people over here. We'll figure out the best tactic to make sure everybody's comfortable in church and everything's going well for them. No, 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 no. That is not what we do. What we do is we come unto God and we say, we want the gospel to go. We want you to use us to do it. And the only power and strength that we know will get that done is the fact that you you are doing it and that you are with us. That's it. And so we go in the power and the presence of God. We go because he is with us. You know, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit resides in you. You are the temple of God. He goes with you. So, so when you're having that conversation about the gospel with your coworker, Believe God is with me. 
When, when, when everyone around you is, is stepping into a temptation and you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to value my holiness. I'm going to walk away with that. Believe. God is with me. He's going to give me the strength to continue to stand strong. God is with me. When you are struggling with, hey, what do I do with my life? This thing God has called me to, I'm afraid to give this up. I'm afraid of what it's going to cost me. I'm afraid to lead family worship because of how weird it is or how maybe I don't know a whole lot. God is with you. God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the mighty one, the everlasting God, faithful from generation to generation, has no beginning and no end, is with you. He is with you. And so when you talk to that fellow who, who, who's standing next to you in the McDonald's line about Jesus, you say, bro, where are you at McDonald's? We both need Jesus. God is with you. When you're battling that sin, when you're fighting to stand in the midst of temptation, you're not fighting alone. You're not fighting alone. God is with you. God fights for you. God is with you. So, so get in focused on his abilities and skills and said he couldn't. But God said, don't look at what you can do. Look at what I can do. Don't, don't look at what you can do. Look at who's with you. Our giftings and abilities are, are powerless. It's like if I feel like the Lord has gifted me to, to, to lead and preach. Y'all might argue that. Uh, but I feel like the Lord has gifted me in that. But if I come up here and just out of my own giftings or abilities continue to preach and I do this whole circus act and I wave my arms a whole lot and I get sweaty and I'm yelling and I'm quiet and I'm doing all these things, but it has no power of God in it, it's pointless. It's pointless. It's just a bunch of yelling. Sometimes I preach quieter. But it's pointless if it doesn't have the presence and the power of God in it. So, so, so the power to, to move men, to, to love Jesus, to step into obedience, to walk after Christ, that is not a power that I have. So every morning, every, every, every day when I'm praying for you, especially on Sunday mornings when I'm driving this place, I pray unto God, God, I have no ability to move the hearts of men. None. Zero. You. You move. You move our church to more obedience. You save souls of people who will be in here who don't know Christ yet. You, you, you change fathers to finally step up and begin leading their families spiritually. You do that because I have no power in it to do it myself. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And that's every act of obedience we do under the Lord. Even reading our Bibles. When we sit down to read our Bibles, if you think that you can understand the supernatural things in this book with a natural mind, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. Oh, you might be able to put some sentences together, and yeah, you might be able to formulate some thoughts. Oh, that was really cool. But 
the kind of supernatural work that changes you, that makes you like Jesus, that conforms you into the image of Jesus, that convicts you of sin, that's a supernatural thing. And so before, every time we open, every time I open this book, uh, I, I, I say to God, God, open my eyes to behold the wonderful mysteries of your word. In my own flesh, it'll just be words on a page. I need your presence and power to move with the Holy Spirit residing in me, with the Holy Spirit-inspired scripture to move me to be more like Jesus, to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against him. We need the presence of God always. That's why we're saying, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's so true. Every hour, I need you. And you know the beautiful thing is? He's with you. He's with you. God is with you. The last point of application I want to give to you is that, again, this, this starts at home. You see that Gideon, he knew the truths that there were some mighty, miraculous acts that God did, but he did not know that if they lived in obedience to the Lord, the Lord would bless them, and if they lived in disobedience to the Lord, the Lord would curse them. And that is the direct result of that fact that he was not taught that by his own father who was in worship, syncretistic worship, worshiping all these other gods. So he wasn't taught the truths of, of, of the scripture. He didn't, he didn't, his father didn't read to him the, 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 the truths of the one true God, didn't pray with him or sing with him, and it led to disaster. It led to a whole nation of disaster. You had a whole nation not uh, discipling their kids. And so generation after generation just got further and further from, from the Lord. And so the first thing God tells Gideon to do is tear down uh, his, his dad's idols. Like if you want to do battle in the world, if you want to live in obedience to the Lord, it starts at home. It starts first in you and then you leading your family to embrace Christ, to know Jesus. The, the, the only way we're going to be able to tear down the idols that this world throws at us, and, and, and it throws at us a lot of idols, the only way we're going to be able to tear them down is by starting with us and, and, and taking care of uh, discipling our own families, our own homes. If you want to break this, the pattern that your parents have put in your own life, the way you do that is by faithfully and passionately and zealously and, and, and reading and teaching the Bible to your kids. This is what we do. Like the idols uh, constantly keep us from Christ. They constantly uh, are, are being built up and Jesus says, tear them down. Tear them down in your life, whatever they are. Some of them I've already mentioned, materialism, the, the, the whatever. Tear those things down and begin pointing your household to the Lord. It may just be you in your household. And you faithfully say, all right, every night I'm going to have my own worship time. Maybe just a married couple. Man, maybe you and a roommate. Maybe you and 10 kids. I don't know what your family situation is. But be faithful to point the whole household to the Lord. I want to read to you one last verse, and we'll be finished. This is Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. Uh, there's a lot of context here, but um, I'll explain it. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, which is a great truth. And, and uh, you could really, you could put anything here, any idol here. 
But this is a great truth. We, we, we want that. We, we want our lives to be free from the love of money. We, we want to be content with what we have. How do we do that? Look at what it says. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The, the secret to not loving money and having contentment in the, in the things that God has given us is not in some self-help book or an Oprah show. The way we have contentment and the way we, we, we don't have the love of money is that we realize that our God is with us. He will never leave us and never forsake us. So when the job is, is taken for, away from us, God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. So when the, when the, when the paychecks are gone, God is with you. When 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 Life all around you is crumbling. God is with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. And then look, when we, when we battle with fear, look at this next passage. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Why will I not fear? What can man do to me? Why can we not have fear? Why can we share the gospel without fearing that God, that, that man is going to do something to me? Here's how. We know that our God is with us. The, the, the scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? No one. The scripture says, why would I fear man who can only kill the body, but not fear God who can both throw body and soul into hell? No. I don't fear man. We... we we should not have this fear of man. Why? Because our God is with us. And even if we, in the midst of that fear, we step out in obedience because we know our God is with us. He is with us. Imagine what you can do in your family, what you, we can do as a church as we continue to step in obedience to him, not having this fear over us on what's going to happen in our jobs if we talk about Jesus or, 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 or this fear of what if I don't know enough of the Bible to teach my kids? Step out of that fear and know that God is with you. He will even go as far as giving you words to say. Our God is with us. It should be an empowering thing to an often fearful people. Let's pray together. Father, we love, praise, and adore you, and we, uh, we confess that um, we oftentimes let our pasts and our fears and our inadequacies and our weaknesses govern the actions of our life. Instead of going from a baseline of our God is with us, what is impossible with God? Nothing. So, Father, I pray that every believer in this room would, would be, their eyes would be open to the truth that you are with us. You walk with us. You go with us. You never leave us alone. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Even in, in, in the midst of the, the crappiest times, our God is with us. In the midst of the best days, our God is with us. When we share the gospel faithfully, our God is with us. When we step out in obedience, whatever that is, you are, you are with us. When we say no to the world and yes to holiness, our God is with us. He strengthens us. He strengthens us. He supports us. 
Let us realize that, that you are ever with us. We aren't fighting battles on our own. There is no secret sins. You are with us. So you, you will help us fight temptation. You will help us walk in your presence and in holiness. You, you will help us to realize that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ and the blood of the Lamb. You will help us to walk in our identity as the chosen ones of God, the adopted children of God, the ones that have been clothed in his righteousness and walk in the glory of God. Father, help us to believe. Help our unbelief. You are with us. You'll never forsake us to the end of our days. Help us to walk in that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.